0: Walter Hill's 1984 movie, Streets of Fire, was self-described as a rock-and-roll fable. And I buy into that for the most part. While watching Streets of Fire, I feel like I'm watching a city in a snow globe. It's a world that exists not within, but parallel to ours, taking elements from it to curate its unique existence. It's a world that seems to operate on a single loop directly between the 1950s and the 1980s. Being unaware of the decades that preceded and preceded it, and completely skipping over the ones in between. Streets of Fire hinges on similar tropes as what is arguably Hill's most celebrated movie, The Warriors, but distills the drama of our heroes and villains between two factions, as opposed to an entire city of colorful gangs. The one led by grizzled prodigal son mercenary Thomas Cody, and one led by a kinky vampire biker overlord Raven Shattuck with a smattering of keystone cop-like characters bumbling about in the middle, attempting to keep the peace. It's a silly, flawed little movie, but the charm of its characters and the world that it builds makes me grin from ear to ear each time I watch it. And if you weren't on board for the fun romp of a movie that it is, hop into this 1951 Chopped Mercury as we break it all down tonight on this episode of Midnight Flicks.
1: be coming for her and I'll be coming for you too sure you will and I'll be waiting you are about to enter a world unlike any you've ever seen before where rock and roll is king the only law is a loaded gun Where the beautiful Stay and see the show, it's really good The brutal. I want Tom Cody And the brave all meet From now on,
0: it's for real In Streets of Fire (laughs) Welcome to Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory. I am your host, Adam Walker, and joining me as always on this cinematic expedition is Pat Mitchell. Hello, Pat. How's it going in these strange
1: times? Very strange times. I'm glad we can practice our uh, social distancing uh, by doing this podcast. It's like uh, two birds, one stone.
0: Right. If I cough on this mic, you're not going to get infected. I'm not sure because they don't know shit about this disease. so It could could just transmit (laughs) through the mic into your home. Over many thousand miles away. I
1: don't mind sharing Corona with you. Have, a so, corona.
0: Have, a, have you heard that Corona
1: sales have fucking plummeted? Just like the beer? <laughs> of, course crazy? So yeah. of course I I so yeah. mean, just, I don't know if that's like a superstitious thing. People are like, uh, ugh, I'm not drinking Corona. <laughs> it's
0: like, the, it's like the whole thing with the, uh, when there was the anthrax like terrorist attacks. Oh yeah. And, yeah. You yeah know, with, and then like the band. anthrax the yeah. ban. I don't know how much tongue-in-cheek were like, well, maybe we need to change the name of our band to Basket Full of Puppies. Because <laughs> they felt like it was it, it was tone-deaf and insensitive to maintain having that name. Oh, Lord, <laughs> they should have done it. But it's funny. It is, it's funny, though, because that situation with that with around 9-11 and, you know, peak, like, terror-level red type thing, the, it mirrors, in a lot of ways, what's going on now. But I feel like this situation is, more severe but there's definitely a there's corollaries that could be made in terms of the administration being bungling fucking republican you know knobs and you know obviously we're just in
1: like a fucking constant black mirror loop like we're just living black mirror episodes over and over again
0: i pretty much i feel like we've basically since the you know the early 2000s that that whole 20 year span into now.
1: 9-11 on has been one cataclysmic uh, fever dream after another.
0: (laughs) Yes, this neoliberal, hellish (laughs) fever dream that hopefully this next decade we will escape from. Hopefully this pandemic will be the shot in the arm that we need to move forward. I would love that. Until then, wash your
1: goddamn hands. (laughs) yes Stay inside for god's sakes unless you
0: got to go somewhere have you seen the ha- have you seen the hamster video with the little hamster No, the hamster demo- video dem- demonstrating how to oh uh, i did
1: i did see that yeah it's yeah
0: very, it's very adorable <laughs> i loved it i don't like that we needed
1: to be told to wash our hands but you know some people well, that was, needed to yeah crazy
0: to me is like all of a sudden i started hearing people like, like what i gotta wash my hands the fuck! Wash my
1: goddamn hands! I don't even remember the happy birthday song.
0: So there's been yeah, there's been these people. No wonder why we have a fucking pandemic. So people have been walking around all the time, just not cognizant of washing their hands. The fuck's wrong with you, you dirty fucks?
1: We deserve everything we, we're getting. You,
0: we're we're filthy, filthy scum. And this is a this is a plague ship that is fucking sinking fast. Okay. on on that note on that cheery note what uh what what are some good movies you've been seeing now that you're all holed up i'm sure you got plenty of time to
1: well i watched
0: outbreak of course you (laughs) did which which
1: i've seen a a a dozen or more times but um you know given what's going on i I thought it'd be a a fun little romp and it's still just as delightful
0: as ever (laughs) we we thought about watching it the other night obviously it was on the the netflix queue and I was like, I don't want to watch that. It but, is on Netflix right now. So if you're curious and you,
1: if you haven't seen Outbreak, um, it is, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying it's eerie how um, how close it is to today's circumstances. It really, the movie itself is actually nowhere near like... No. It's, it's not at all. It's so grandiose and like, uh, so like purposely... Hollywood, uh, right. th- in terms of like how ridiculous it is that it's like fun. Like I, I, I don't, I didn't watch it and was like, Oh God. But the, like, this is depressing me. Cause it's so much like it is, you know, currently, but, um, I mean, from a purely cast perspective, it has Dustin Hoffman, Morgan Freeman, Donald Sutherland, Cuba Gooding Jr. Patrick Dempsey, uh, Kevin Spacey, Renée Russo, who apparently just died in the nineties. I don't even know what she did after <laughs> i mean i don't know what she did after this but it is a crazy cast it's super fun it's just a fun uh, you know pandemic movie so uh you know we're all locked in do yourself a favor if you haven't seen it and go watch it it's, it's super fun
0: yeah, fun pandemic movie to watch while you're in your fun pandemic movie that is your life now.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very meta. It, <laughs> and I love Donald Sutherland in bad guy shit. He is such a good bad guy, and he's such a villainous person in this like government or military the role of like, well, just nuke the whole fucking town, get, you know, kill everybody. We'll just uh, clean it up and. You know, brush it under the rug. Kill them all. Love, Let I God sort them out. Yes, yeah. I love that kind of Sutherland. But
0: um, his son's, what have, son's the same way. I feel like his son also adeptly plays heroic roles and evil roles very equally well. Equally is good. Yeah, yeah. I love I love, uh, I love uh, the whole clan. <laughs> the whole the Sutherland whole, the fam. Sutcliffe clan.
1: <laughs> but what have you? What have you seen since we're all locked up?
0: So you're not gonna like this. Oh Lord! <laughs> but last night, <laughs> Charlotte and I we watched Haga Oh, and you hated it.
1: Well, I'm, not... I'm going to this conclusion because of how much I loved it.
0: Yeah. So I will give. I'll, I'll give you these. Uh, uh, I'll give you this much. When we watched it, I was kind of half watching it because I was busy doing something. So. I'm not gonna say I hated it. I'm gonna say that it had its moments. I wasn't completely um <clears throat> wasn't completely absorbed by it enough to give it a full one way or the other. I will say that it seemed like it it, it 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 did drag a bit. There was aspects of it that were kind of confusing. Uh Charlotte fell asleep at one point during it, but whatever. I don't know if that I, had anything to do with the movie necessarily. No,
1: it is a it is a like a glacier's pace in terms yeah. of what's going on it is moving at a, a, a infinitesimally slow pace i mean is it, i don't know it's a grind it really is yeah. a grind dude it's not a like a I mean, I, you know it's not a fun movie or anything yeah, like that absolutely. but it's also a grind in terms of its pacing it's very slow yeah
0: well i will say this much beautifully shot looks amazing looks super cool cinematography is great it looks really creepy and eerie there is one scene or during the basically the third act i'm not going to i no spoilers but there is definitely a real fucking gross part that i was God. like ooh i
1: already know what you're talking
0: about you know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. real taboo real like i was like that's gnarly i appreciated that um so that's what i'll say uh Definitely need to go back and watch it with my undivided attention.
1: I would watch it without distraction, and I would. And I actually think you would get a lot of it. I'm actually looking forward to watching it a second time. Yeah. Because I watched it the first time, and then I read about it, and mm-hmm. then I was like, "Oh, I didn't make these connections. Mm-hmm. Connections that I think I would make the second time." Um. So I'm so gonna I'll, watch it again.
0: I will ask you this though, because this was something we were we were definitely trying to figure out. Um, the woman. In the second act on that's the daughter, right yes, yeah what the, the one that ultimately uh, is dealt her her fate yeah the
1: the older woman in the in the second and third act is the little girl from the uh, first act. I think that is her and her mother when when she was a child growing up in I the in
0: the beginning yeah. yes okay yeah that's that was one thing that like at first we were a little confused about that
1: yeah see all these little jarring moments uh, like kind of keep you off kilter i think if you knew knowing all that and you watched it again (laughs) you would be able to pick up on more of the nuancey things that are constantly happening like in the background and shit it's it just feels like an evil movie (laughs) i love how dark it it just feels like bad shit is happening yeah Um, I, i love it
0: It's super ominous for sure. It's it's yeah, but it's it's pretty slow movie. So again, not going to write it off yet. Just going to say that I wasn't completely stoked on it enough to be like, wow, I'm going to watch this with my undivided attention right now. But maybe at a later date. So that's what I'll say about (laughs) it. That's totally fair. Um, Other than that, I I watched a couple other things. But honestly, um, other than stuff that we've been watching for this, I can't really say off the top of my head. There's been anything that's been blowing, blowing my brains uh, out. Um, I went down my list a little bit more with some imdb imdb watch list stuff watch another early willem defoe movie called light sleeper and it was not it was kind of a dud i've been uh disappointed by some of these early earlier willem defoe movies other than the one we're going to talk about tonight which is 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 uh an exception to that and then started watching a movie called an american astronaut which had been on my list for a while Pretty art artsy, real low budget, little uh quirky film from early the early two thousands. Wasn't able to get through it. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> Sounds like you've had a real a real drag lately. Yeah, have not have, haven't been getting um some bangers lately. Anyways, so that's that. And that will bring us to the movie that we were talking about, as I mentioned, because I had uh, talked about these early Willem Dafoe outings um, that I've been trying to, uh, you know, check off my list that I've had for a while. By the way, I have
1: the I have actually have the
0: perfect segue. OK. Segue
1: away. -away. And I meant to tell you this you know, before or after the recording, but I think it's the perfect segue now. Mm. Have you ever heard of this YouTuber, a control shift face?
0: No, Um, I haven't.
1: So he superimposes alternate casting in famous movies. Like he superimposes different faces. Um, in, in, into like famous movies but he does an excellent job to where it's like seamless. Okay. Um, he did Jim Carrey in The Shining <laughs> 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 instead of Jack Nicholson. He's, he did Schwarzenegger in No Country for Old Men um, oh, okay. uh, but recently and this will segue into our movie for tonight, he did Willem Dafoe as Hannibal Lecter and Gillian Anderson as Clarice. And you can go online and watch the entire interaction when she first meets him in person. And it is so well done and terrifying. It is so good. It makes me yeah. want like a Willem Dafoe, a Hannibal Lecter. And and uh, Gillian Anderson as Clarice was like, just... Perfect. like, And it was like that early 90s X-Files Gillian Anderson, too. So, um, yeah, that sounds great. I'd say check it out. Uh, It's super good. I'll probably just text you when we're done here. But um, that Willem Dafoe shit really got me going. And um, yeah, so perfect segue into tonight's movie. So shall we get into that?
0: Yeah, let's dig into tonight's movie. Tonight's movie we're talking about is Streets of Fire. It's a 1984 movie. Walter Hill Hill directed it. Walter Hill, uh, probably best known to people that are a little less initiated, for being the director for The Warriors, and this was <clears throat> this is a movie that he did um, like a few years after that. It would have been about five years after that. And synopsis of it basically is a, a mercenary. He uh, returns uh, to his his home city hometown. And he is basically hired to rescue his ex-girlfriend who is a rock rock and roll uh, singer for uh, uh, this band called The Attackers. And she is kidnapped in the middle of a gig by a nefarious biker gang <laughs> led by Mr. Willem Defoe in an especially unsettling, creepy, badass role. He's a leader of this uh, gang called The Bombers. And so, yeah, so this mercenary gets thrown into this he gets hired by her her then uh her at the time manager of current boyfriend uh to track her down from the inner sanctum of the of the bombers their inner layer lair, and the wacky hijinks ensue as they make their way across town to uh, uh you know deliver her to safety so that's what it is it's perfectly apt description. Yeah. And um, just real quick, go, I'm gonna go down a little bit of the crew a little bit, just so people know. But Michael Perry was the leading man, he plays Tom Cody, Diane Lane plays Ellen Aim, uh, which is the 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 vocalist, his his ex. Rick Moranis playing Billy Fish, Amy Madigan playing McCoy, Willem Defoe, as I said earlier, playing Raven Shattuck. Bill Paxton is in this, playing Clyde the bartender, in a wonderful little role there. Um, I loved, I loved his. It's his so good. Character um, is wonderful. Lee Ving playing an asshole because he is an asshole, and he plays an asshole in every role I've ever seen him in because he's just an asshole. Uh, he does perfect have, asshole and plays this. plays a perfect asshole. He doesn't have a lot of lines in it, but he plays um, uh, basically uh, Ravens ran hat man from what I'm gathering. And Robert Townsend, I want to point him out because Robert Townsend Rules, of course, the director of Hollywood Shuffle and uh, various other comedies. And like I said, director Walter Hill and the composer was Rye Cooter. Some people may know <laughs> Which Cooter. is the most ridiculous name of all time. <laughs> it, is, it is ridiculous, but some people may remember <laughs> Rye Cooter. So yeah, so that's basically that as well. And from here on, we want to we want to talk about a, we got an Ebert review. We want to talk about that. Yeah. I want to hear it. Well, when we were talking about Manhunter, this kind of reminded me of that, uh, where he doesn't outright give it a review. I feel he just kind of gives us, he gives us like a, a summary of the movie and he basically, you know, he, he weighs in that it's a good movie. He, he has a few things that he says and criticism about it that aren't really to me, very they're not noteworthy he doesn't like he doesn't you know give any real hard hits this movie he says basically it's an enjoy an enjoyable film has a lot of similarities to the, the warriors in terms of its pacing and um the the overall plot in terms of like you know you know these warring factions in in in, in the city and trying to make it across the city you know to a certain destination um so yeah like I said, he gave it three stars three out of four three out of four so he gave it a pretty good review which i yeah. was surprised because a lot of people that, that are familiar with this movie they know that it was pretty critically panned at the time it's definitely a movie you no know, as is the case with a lot of these movies that we talk about and there's a good reason for that that has acquired a cult status since since its release in 1984 but when it came out it didn't do well it wasn't a complete box office flop it it ended up did it ended up making money um but not a lot and the results of its failure also led to uh scrapping some other projects related to the movie which we'll get into later which you know uh speculatively like when i think about it i think would be pretty sick kind of like along the lines with Halloween 3 where you know there was a lot more grandiose plans relating to but the movie it didn't do very well so they didn't so they they did pan out they chucked it they hmm. said we're not going to do this it, you know nobody gives a shit so um i will say one thing when i was reading the uh, ebert review there was a comment that somebody had um on the website that i thought was very apt to this movie and it's it, and basically they said that it exists in a world it created and it does it very well. Um and I will talk about that more when we get into um discussing the movie a little bit more on the good the bad and the questionable category. But yeah, I mean this is another movie very similar to the Warriors where this is you know it creates its own little self-contained universe and creates characters that you could build off their own like crazy narrative. And that's why I like this movie so much. And that's why I like Walter Hill is he creates these really cool archetype figures with his movies that um you could just as well have, they could have their own breakaway movies. They could have their own like little series spinoffs. spin-offs. Yeah. So that's why I, I really, really like this movie a lot. So that is essentially that and without further ado unless you have anything else to add
1: no i didn't really find any reviews so i was curious to hear what he said but that that seems on that seems on par but yeah we can we can move right into uh good bad questionable
0: yeah without further ado well, let's move into the good bad and the questionable We're gonna get into the the meat of this movie a little bit more So this was, I had not watched this movie in, in, in a while. And I remember initial viewings of it. I, I immediately was drawn to this movie. I felt like there was definitely like this charm to it. um, That like with Halloween three, I will say that I like movies like this because I feel like they've been shit on so much, but like, I find this, again, this charm and uniqueness to them that is so redeeming and so special that, like, it almost makes it feel like this is my movie because other people, like, don't like it, so, and I like it, and I find something cool about it, and, like, this is the same thing when it goes, like, with, like, certain types of bands and things like that. Like, I love this band, The Tubes, and they're one of these bands that nobody gives a shit about, and they, and they had they had some hits in the 80s. They were basically kind of like a one-hit wonder and, um, but they're like one of my favorite bands, and no one ever talks about them. And I think they're amazing, and so I feel a very special sort of connection to them. And I felt like this even more when I watched this movie this time. It wasn't like when I watched it, I you know I picked it apart more, and it made me lose some of my appreciation for it because that's definitely been the case of movies that I've loved in the past. Um, prime example being Gremlins. It's hard. Oh for me. my! I love Gremlins, but I'll tell you what, man, it's hard for me to watch it sometimes and kind of shut off my critical eye anymore because I just really i've I found certain plot holes about it that I just could not let go anymore. So
1: I I will not I will not hear anybody <laughs> say anything about Gremlins. Although <laughs> controversial opinion, I I like Gremlins Two more than Gremlins. I think Gremlins Two is like one of the most underrated uh, Dante movies. It is so fucking good, and yeah. I, I I rewatched Gremlins Two way more than the original. But this is also a good time to say that these are this movie in particular like we said at the end of the last episode is something that you've had repeated viewings of and that i have this is right. my first time watching it so our perspectives are are going to be hinged upon that fact yeah. that you've watched it um lovingly multiple times and i have watched it i watched it twice um Oh, so okay. <laughs> I've got two Z well, under my belt, but it was my first time watching it.
0: Yeah. So that's why I'm pretty excited to talk to you about this movie since it was this is the first movie we've had so far where not uh where one of us has not seen it prior. Yeah, to, so this uh, will be the, this the will selection. be interesting. Uncharted yeah. territory. Uncharted territory for you for sure. Um uh yeah, so and I will say also I, I am in agreement with you about Gremlins too. So and I still, I love Kremlin's one. Don't get me wrong. I'm not shitting on it. I'm just saying that, I don't know. Like I started picking up on some serious plot holes and, and I haven't been able to let them go, but it's still a great movie. And it's still, it was still very formative for, for me as a kid to have watched. Adam, why, why do you hate fun?
1: Hmm?
2: <laughs> Uh, wait
1: till episode 368 where we do gremlins because we just run out of shit and <laughs> just... I can't wait
0: <laughs> I particularly if we do get to gremlins I want to talk about the fact that they reproduce when you throw water on them but when they play in the snow that nothing happens so there you go okay I'm not even gonna take your <laughs> right. take right. your bait I won't do it <laughs> alright <laughs> moving on so we're going to talk about some good things about this movie and i'll be honest with you man i I really i tried to find bad things about this movie and that and there are the script is not the best but i was not like nitpicking at it a lot like i i honestly thought that the time that i watched this i would be picking a lot more nits and that's where i'm hoping you kind of come in to to be the uh the devil's advocate in that regard, is because I feel like I've just I've become very naive with this movie. <laughs> because this I think will it, be
1: good. This will be a good discussion because I I have mixed feelings about this movie. Okay, great. Um, not good or bad, just mixed. So okay. I did have some bad.
0: Okay, okay. Well, <laughs> so let's see some good things. Um, for one, I really love and i I know I, I bring this up in other movies, but I guess this is just the visual person in me coming out but I love the co- the color palette of this movie. The color palette is is so cool and it's just what i I like to see where it's like this mixture of it has it, it, it's like manhunter where the color palette is very very clearly tied in with the narrative. So when you go to different parts of the this the, the scenery, you know, the landscape of the movie, you you can very clearly associate the color palettes and the tones with where you're at so like in um in uh the the city where the diner is where you know the first couple acts or so take place they're a lot more pastel it's like this weird kind of pastel dingy kind of mixture and then when they move to more into the city it's more neon and then of course when you get to the uh, the battery Um, there's more of those neon kind of colors and and things like that and that mixed with again that that scenery of this like um, pre-gentrified kind of dingy uh, urban uh, cityscape from a particular time so I want to say about that that's another thing about this movie that's interesting is It's almost like this. It's got this retro-future sort of feel to it. You can't exactly—that's
1: totally your shit. You love that is like Adam's warm blanket. Exactly. You love love that kind of stuff. I can tell.
0: Where it's just like you can't quite pin down what era this is from. It looks like it could be in the fifties. It looks like it could be in the eighties. It's this. It's this hybrid of different eras, where you know you could tell Walter Hill being someone who grew up in the fifties and had a nostalgia for it. Was trying his best to bring that into um, the fashion and style and the aesthetic of the '80s to try and bridge those two, and it's got this very cool sort of new kind of creation from from that hybridization that I really like. Yeah, yeah. Aesthetically, I, I thought
1: it was very. I love that kind of stuff. Uh, that neo-noiry kind of aesthetic is is uh is very pleasing to me too i I just get excited about those kinds of of movies um right and we've done a lot of them so far like running man had a similar vibe
0: running man manhunter yeah um, and then this movie but again it's not just a neon noir sort of strictly neon noir you're talking
1: specifically about the uh, color choices
0: Right, but just the fact that it's it's merging those two different eras in its own oh, yeah, yeah, interesting yeah. way. Yeah. It's kind of similar to um even like the way I f- I feel um Tim Burton kind of approached with his Batmans, where it's like the gotham looks <laughs> yeah. like it's you know, it's from the fifties, but it clearly has aspects of more Modern, contemporary sort of—it
1: feels out of time, like Star Wars. It doesn't uh, take place in a specific time or galaxy or place. Uh, you know, it—it's it, far away and in in a different time, and that's the, that. Those details aren't aren't uh, important. You know, to right. tell the story
0: well and totally. And and again, it goes back to that quote that I was talking about, where it's like this is like a self-contained world. It's almost like you feel like this is the only in that universe. This is the only place where people exist. Yeah, you it was very mean?
1: lived in. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I really love that aspect of it. Um, I like the look of the attackers, and that kind of goes with this whole weird combination of these two different worlds, where you have the attackers, uh, LNA's backup band, who look like they're like basically like a '50s rock doo-wop kind of band, but then she's yeah. she's very like um, kind of like. 80s edgy new wave kind of looking in her attire she's got that 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 dress it's like um, you know it's like a it's like it's like sewn together like two different dresses sewn together um and and then she's wearing like the leather gloves and and yeah so that whole aesthetic i think is really really cool um and then let's see what else I mean that's a big gist of it um i really i like the fight scenes a lot and this is another walter hill, hill hill sort of thing where where he utilizes very choreographed fights i feel like where um in a lot of ways i could i could make a parallel to with this sort of thing like why i like kung fu movies where it's like it's like a, it's a it's a dance you know yeah it definitely
1: doesn't feel improv improvisational like at all it's it's very choreographed but i think it's for the better like i i also have down specifically when tom cody's dispatching the bikers in the diner it's so dope it's, i, I it's love so i love uh it feels like he sped, sped it up too. Like he's really, he's punching out of a, a faster frame rate than, than normal. But uh, yeah, I, I also loved the, uh, I thought the fight sequences were at least choreographed really well.
0: Right. And specifically with that scene that you're talking about in the beginning where he confronts the gang in his sister's diner, where it's the initial like, um, uh, interaction he has with the leader where he, he takes his knife and then he slaps him. And then he gives it back to him. He's like, "Try again." And then he slaps yeah, yeah. him again. <laughs> he's just like, he, he's like, he's that quick where he can like just like kind of fuck with and play with like this guy, you know, until you know it gets down to the nitty gritty and it's a full on brawl. And he just takes out this whole gang and then steals their car. Yeah. <laughs> Insult to injury. Yeah. It's just like it's just like this ultimate big dick fucking move. And it just really sets the tone immediately. And I will say this too. I know last week when we were kind of talking about this movie and I was kind of setting it up for you, I, I I went in, uh, I tried to go into a little bit of detail about Eddie and the cruisers and, and Perry's, you know, career and how I felt like even before I rewatched this, um, Perry has never been the strongest actor he obviously was being groomed to be like a leading man, you know at the time, and <clears throat> so I was never like the biggest fan of his acting, but I think similar to similar to when we watched manhunter and I was like kind of iffy about uh William Peterson. I kind of came around more to Perry this time um I, uh I appreciated him more as being like just kind of like this solid kind of like no-nonsense kind of, like, tough guy that was kind of like, you know, not... He's not all there. And that's when I came to the conclusion, especially watching this movie, and I don't know if you felt the same way, that he basically was, like, a budget Stallone.
1: Yeah, I, I... I have. I mean, we can talk about that when we segue into that. I have in my bad. It's like ob- objectively terrible acting. Like <laughs> it. It was one of my biggest um, things that I hated. I. I. He was off. It was awful. Um. But it, William Peterson. Uh. Is it's funny? The comparison is actually really good because. He he does have a kind of a William Peterson vibe, where he's like they're both kind of thrust into a, like a leading man role, but neither one of them want that kind of spotlight. if feel yeah. like, and so they both are like half-assing everything. Uh, right. But I think William William Peterson to greater effect. Um, the, it was a strange. It's a it, Michael. Is it is it Perry. Pare Pare? Yep. I'm pretty sure it's Pare. So Michael Pare is like. I, I don't know what it, he's going in and out of like really weird. Uh,
0: uh, we'll, we'll get to the bad. Uh, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll save it. <laughs> well, I'll just say yes. Still by no means, you know, an a great auteur, you know, not, not an au auteur, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I felt a little bit more charm uh, in his acting with this one being as dumb as it is um and And i
1: could see on repeated viewings it just being more fun and not caring about that but yeah yeah it's my first introduction to him specifically as an actor so right totally
0: um i like because okay i'm not in any way like a big gearhead but i do love (laughs) cool cars i do have an appreciation for cool cars and this is one of those type of like movies where you get to see some pretty cool cars in this in fact you know the, the the use of the Studebakers as the cop cars is like really sick to me because those are super cool looking cars and that was very noteworthy to me as well so i like that a lot um, i
1: also don't know shit about cars and i wrote down cool cars <laughs> cool cars I <laughs> just like yeah it it there it, it's I don't even know. I, I can't even put my finger on it. Cause I literally don't know anything about cars. Like I couldn't even name a fucking vehicle on the road. Like I couldn't <laughs> name what kind of vehicle it was. And I, and just like this movie, like you said, Sudebakers, I, I understand what you're saying in those yeah. like old timey, like 1950s cop car style mm-hmm. way. But yeah, I, I noticed that the cars did stand out to me as, as, uh, just super tight.
0: Yeah, cool cars and cool motorcycles. So, I mean, I wouldn't claim to be quite as ignorant about these things as you just did. I actually, I, I literally know no, nothing. <laughs> I, I I try to at least feign that I am like somewhat well versed in in you know, um, the history of cool cars and muscle cars and things like that. I grew up around that stuff. My 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 stepfather who raised me was a biker and things like that, but. I just never i never dove, dove headlong into it like some people do i I went more to the weird already into the spectrum, but it's there in my DNA as far as my personality goes so sure when i when I see movies or things that have cool cars and motorcycles or anything like that i'm 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 pretty stoked so instant appreciation instant appreciation um other good. I love Bill Paxson's role in this like his his little bit part as the uh, the the poop tooth metal tooth the uh, pompadored bartender what was
1: going on with that I hear my question I don't have this in my questionable so I'll just ask it um, is he missing a tooth and if so is that just a bad makeup effect like did they just put the 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 black paint on the tooth to make it look missing and just look bad I heard you say poop tooth. I'm like wondering if it <laughs> was it a dead tooth. Like I had so many questions. I, I I didn't understand what was going on.
0: So initially when you see him during that first bar scene where you meet McCoy, it appears that he is missing a front tooth. But then later in the movie at the end, when, uh, when they all line up for the big, the big throwdown, and you look it, it appears that he has a silver tooth. Oh, so, which is cool. A silver tooth. Well, yes. Yeah. It just being not
1: gold. I, you can't tell what the fuck is going on. Right. Like the lighting, uh, in that bar is, is not the best. So obviously you it just looks weird. Like it looks like Damn. a missing tooth, but, um, either way, I also love bill Paxton's performance by the way. And, um, so much so that I have a surprise for you later. That I have a question that I want to ask you uh, regarding Bill Paxton. So okay. I'll save that for later because right? I, lo- I adore he. It rem- this movie reminded me how much I adore fucking Bill Paxton. I l- love him, and I the, having you know this be my first. Time watching this movie, I loved uh being able to watch a movie with Bill Paxton in it again. I, I feel like, you know, it's like invigorated. He's st- right. Yeah. Like
0: he's still there. He's still here with us. It's and there were
1: still, there's still, <laughs> there's still charming movies that I have not seen by him. And this is this being one of them. So that I, it, I fucking love Bill Paxton. Yeah. Let, and he looks great.
0: Yeah. Let's go on the record right now, though, and say, is there any role that you've seen Bill Paxton in where you're like not like on board for this dude? because as
1: soon as i see him on screen i like <laughs> you get giddy I, you're like yeah. i'm like everyone shut the fuck up bill, paxton. <laughs> bill, bill paxton's got some lines here it, yeah no he is uh uh I, I will ask you what i have to ask you later in regarding bill paxton um but yes i was giddy to see him in this it, i it really did I wish he had more. He really yeah. is just in it with uh, almost like a cameo role. I mean, he's pretty he's much. got very, very few lines, but I'm sure this was early on in his career too. So
0: yeah, it was pretty early on, but yeah, he plays, you know, he, he does an, an, an exceptional job of playing a goofball fucking yokel bartender that just immediately gets his ass handed to him. <laughs> 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 and it's great. I love it. Um, <clears throat> let's see. What else do we have here? oh um now as far as acting goes i will also uh i'm gonna go to bat real hard for amy madigan as mccoy i thought she fucking knocked it out of the park with this one i think if there if if there is any role or any act actor in this movie that legit to me did a standout job because there was a lot of like questionable acting in this movie she does i think she does a, a a killer job and really plays you know talking about like progressive uh potential aspects of this movie be them and you know misunderstood or implied this was to me a pretty forward-thinking role to put you know her in. we and we'll get to why that is there's a circ- there was circumstances behind that but she plays a fucking badass woman like she's just like a tough tough as nails you know woman that is integral to this mission that they engage in and is integral to them succeeding in this mission, you know, so. From the
1: jump too, like yeah. from the time you meet her uh throughout, she's, she's super fun. Yeah. I think her performance is really good. I, I think, you know, I think her performance is actually so good is it is what makes Michael Pari's. what the fuck are we calling him can i call him michael p i don't know how to say just call him michael p michael Michael p P. yo mikey p (laughs) mikey p it (laughs) makes it makes in contrast Mikey mikey p's (laughs) performance that much worse because her performance i agree is excellent and when you are acting with and she is has a lot of scenes with him Mm -hmm. because they team up uh I think he is worse off because of her performance. I think that that is, I thought that when I was watching, it, I was like, she's really good. It's really highlighting how bad he is. <laughs> I, I, I think that, I think that's what it was going on too. But yeah, I totally agree. I loved, loved her,
0: yeah. her character in that performance. Yeah. She's super cool in that. Um, my, my man, Willem Dafoe in this. Holy <laughs> shit. Like, yeah. this is, this is the thing. When I first saw this movie, And I, you know, I had no really any, I had no prejudices about it going into it and really no really good idea. What, what I was, I had in store for me. The moment I saw him in Torchies where he's wearing that weird, like kind of like it's part of a hazmat. Like, suit, yeah, yeah. But, it's but like uh, latex, latex overalls. Latex overalls. Like he's just like he he's working like in a boiler room in a foundry, and that's what he wears. Shirtless. A sexy gay boiler
1: room. Yes,
0: totally. And then his crazy like swooped kind of uh peaked hair, where he he just looks like this creepy like fetish leather boy vampire guy i can't speak
1: enough to him i i he's like oozing fuck
0: in this movie (laughs) he really is more so than just like and there's like other movies like and they're all around this period you know where he plays these kind of roles like in the loveless where he plays a biker very it's very similar now i i remember we talked about loveless at some point but um very similar roles. To to uh, to be uh, put side by side, uh, Loveless and this, and also um, in To Live and Die in L.A., kind of similar. Where it's like these are all these creepy villain vampire roles that he played at the time, and he he does good in every single one of them. And yeah, like you said, just like it just seeps, oozes creepy fuck guy. It's so good. He
1: (laughs) he has so many scenes where he says absolutely nothing. Like he has no dialogue at all, and he Mm. steals the scene. Yeah, where he just uh, like
0: sneers.
1: Yeah, he just sneers, or just has that like uh, he has that fucking like just penetrating stare. That's Mm. just like so good. Uh, He is it. I I'm not sure. I've seen a lot of early young Willem Dafoe, but. I it, it is uh transformative seeing him in, in this. I was like, I don't even know. I had to like tuck a boner into my waistband, I, I didn't even know what was going on. I was it like, is, This is this is awesome, an awesome is, boner.
0: It is super bonerific. Um,
1: <laughs> he is I, I, it can't be understated. Like, I <laughs> He is the best part of this movie, and it is uh no no competition. It it is the only reason I would rewatch this repeatedly is because he is so good.
0: Yeah. So I would say acting wise, we got him and we got Amy Madigan. Definitely stealing the show in those regards on both sides of of the uh of the spectrum or of the of the the spectrum here of the protagonists and the antagonists, the villains and the and the good guys they're the they're the two main ones holding this thing up as far as that goes um i i actually really really liked ed bagley jr's little cameo too very brief it's only there for a split second where he plays that homeless guy or whatever yes yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah. no that was (coughs) that was tight and uh, uh i'm i'm just gonna say this right now and we'll just like we'll we'll insert it into the quotes category for later but also has one of my favorite quotes really quick he just says you're dumb and you're short to (laughs) rick moranis's character (laughs) i actually had that down as one of the
1: very few quotes that uh i i just i didn't put down a bunch that one literally made me like piss my pants
0: laughing (laughs) it's really funny um I kind of talked about this before also, but just to kind of flesh this out, reiterate this more. I really like the idea of this being like this self-contained, almost lawless kind of world. Like, you know, and, and I'll talk about more about the lawlessness aspect of it when we get into the questionable. But again, it's just like it makes it have this dreamy kind of quality to it. This surreal kind of quality to it where there's nothing that there's this world exists out of time out of you know any sort of like real um um it has no real like kind of like um relationship to what we deem as reality it's 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 a completely fantastical
1: no it's out of parallel time
0: world yeah yeah so and i and i love that aspect about it and i really i fell even more in love with it when i watched it uh this time and let's see <laughs> i wanted to talk about there was a particular scene with raven uh will defoe's uh character when when the protagonists go to torchies into the battery the sanct- inner sanctum of the of the bombers there and they're basically they lay waste to it to to uh capture l n a and at the end of it when raven is walking out to confront Cody and he's walking through the flames again, just kind of emphasizing how much of like this evil badass he is to me like that kind of like the way it looked in that scene, all, like I wrote down in my notes, it made me think of like, this guy is the devil. (laughs) He's like, he is like this kind of satanic archetype in a lot of ways, this mischief making satanic archetype. And that's what he is. Like, he's just like, he's this guy that, and I'll get into this with the questionable too, where the whole plot to kidnap Ellen Aim it's just like to me it's just like this mischief making there's really no rhyme or reason to it whatsoever he's just doing this for fucking shits and giggles to show that he has a certain grip on the populace of that that city that he can be like i can just go in i can fucking kidnap this woman and you ain't gonna do shit you know so he seems supernatural
1: in this right he doesn't seem like uh A human. He feels like uh, he came. He came into this world uh, with one. His only pure objective is chaos. He's a chaos agent. I love it. I fucking
0: love it. Totally. And that goes back to the whole idea of Walter Hill being a director and a writer that likes to establish these grand archetypes with his characters where, you know, this person represents ultimate good or this person represents ultimate evil or things like that. You know, or like, yeah, like you said, like being like cha- uh chaotic evil, chaotic neutral. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, whatever. And like very D stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that's like very much uh takes place with this with this movie. Um uh, and let's see what else um do i have in here those are like really like the main ones that i wanted to talk oh yeah and then of course that that in fight scene the hammer fight <laughs> the, the the giant throw down there at the end where it's the bombers versus just the, the the denizens of the city um richmond that's what i was trying to think of like what they call it richmond where they all line up side by side and then there was the big the big throwdown between Cody and Raven, where they fight initially with two sledgehammers <laughs> and, like, and again, that dance that they do back and forth. And then it ends up with, like, them, even though one or the other could probably just, like, smash, you know, like, for instance, Cody could have just smashed Raven's head with a hammer. But then it breaks down to this man, mano a mano fisticuffs fair fight where they choose to just fight it out um without any sort of dirty shit going on i I love that whole part that
1: happens in westerns a lot um they uh when if if like the man in black uh drops his gun uh the man in white will you know, throw his gun down and it's like an unspoken agreement that it's now been downgraded to a knife fight or whatever. Right. Know? Exactly. That, that's totally what it felt like it was it was very westerny high noon um showdown stuff. Yeah, I, I, I love that too.
0: Yeah, and and Walter Hill stated himself that this movie was inspired by Westerns among a few <laughs> oh, other well, different videos. Yeah. So there you go. That aspect makes sense. And I think those were the main, main good ones. Uh, did you have anything else to add? Uh, the only thing I
1: would add would be that I love EG Daily. Um, she's in Pee Wee's Big Adventure and yes. uh, Valley Girl, and she she's the voice of Tommy Pickles and all that. But uh, she's in this, and I I love seeing her. She's not in a lot of stuff because she like transitioned into doing voice work uh, mm-hmm. for cartoons, but... Um, loved her she's just yes. like she's eg daily in every movie like she just plays the same she just plays herself but i think that's great and i she was a breath of fresh air in what i thought was a much needed breath of fresh air in that like second going into third act because she comes in very late in the movie but right yeah I, I love i loved her too but everything else you said i pretty much agree with um most of it. Uh, I,
0: I I and I was I actually had her down as well, so I'm glad that you put good. that. Okay, I, good. I love her as well. She's super like she's super cute and super sweet. And I was introduced to her via Valley Girl, and ever since then I've always been a well. It would have been Dottie actually, because it's funny. I I totally forgot that she was Dottie. Um, but for whatever reason, like, cause I mean, I saw Pee Wee's Big Adventure, you know, when, when it came out. So that would have been my actual introduction to her. But for some reason, I always associate my, my, my introduction to her with Valley Girl. Like I remember her better than that mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Anyways, but yeah, she's great. I love her. And that was uh, super cool that she was in the movie. Um, so we're going to go into the bad. I want you to kick this off because again, oh, boy. I feel like this being your first time seeing this. Um, and then you had already kind of indicated that you you had some bads that you wanted to talk about. So why don't you take it away with the bads? I, I'll preface this by saying that this
1: movie for me is a tale of two halves. And that uh the first half is um was so much fun. I like I loved it. It was great. I just think things fall apart in the second half and things don't go the direction that I was anticipating. So I was like let down and I thought the second half dragged and did right. not go in the direction I thought it was going. Um, I love a good rescue movie. I love a good rescue mission. I, that was also mm-hmm. in my good. I mm-hmm. love a movie that's based around a rescue mission, but this rescue mission is is uh, completed before the second half begins. I mean, she's rescued and brought back it, all in the span of the first half. Right. So that was jarring to me. I thought the rescue was going to assuredly fail and they would have to try it again. And I thought that was the narrative of the, of the movie. So when that failed, it threw me completely off. The second mm. half was, was very strange to me because I was like, all right, but the, it's already been settled here yeah. I mean, we, we found her and we brought her back um <laughs> but the uh, from the point where ellen aim is returned moving forward i i slowly lost interest and it declined just as the movie went on um <laughs> <laughs> i guess to put it concisely um mikey p is is really bad in this um i But I can make the distinction that I love the Tom Cody character. Right. I'm not sure what Mikey P is going for, but he has the, um, he has the cadence of like a 1950s gumshoe, like a Dick Tracy, like his voice and the cadence of his voice is very like calling girls doll and like, you know, wearing uh, trench coats and smoking and,
2: Tough that, talking.
1: That, yeah that kind of aesthetic i love the tom cody character right I, I just don't know what what he's his acting just doesn't is just is strange and all over the place at times um what you liked is what i actually hate is this <laughs> 1980s uh this 1980s nostalgia for the 50s is like a trope at this point. It's so bizarre. This movie felt very back to the future-y to me. Right. Whereas Back to the Future goes back to the 50s the eighties were obsessed with fifties worship and I don't yeah. know what it was. It was obsessed with like sock hops and like, let's get like a milkshake at the, at the fucking, you know,
0: well, and, I'll, t- I'll tell you this. If, yeah. if I, I'll interject on that. And this is, I don't know if you've ever thought of this or had this this discussion with anybody, but in terms of this recurrence of trends or this recycling of certain aesthetics and trends, to me, has always fallen along what is basically a 20-year cycle, essentially. And that, that makes sense. And, yeah. that's, and that's because what happens is um, young people of that era, they start to delve into and research and long for the era that their parents grew up in. And, <laughs> that makes sense. and 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 so there is this feeling that, of the good old days or the, or those days they were better. There's this, you know, nostalgia for those things. And, and I feel like that happened a lot more often pre internet. Whereas now with the internet, I I don't see it as much. It's there, but it's like the thing with the internet now is everything kind of happens at once. Every kind of style, every kind of aesthetic, every kind of, uh, reappraisal of a certain period can happen all at once as opposed to being more on this like linear kind of, uh, scope. Yeah. So that's that I would attribute it to that basically.
1: And you, you know, increasingly as, as technology and society increases, obviously we dispatch with, with nostalgia, um, to a certain degree because, Mm -hmm. With internet and YouTube and and people constantly documenting their lives now, yeah, it it's it, we know what the '80s looked like and the right. '90s looked like. In the '80s, the '50s were they weren't around for it, and you couldn't just fucking go on YouTube and look up sock hops and shit. It's like right. stuff that you heard from your parents, I'm I'm assuming in the right. '80s, and stuff that nostalgia breeds. When you don't specifically, uh, you didn't live in it, and you don't have the means of of reconnecting with it like the way we do now. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, there's there's more of a disconnect. There, it's not. It can't be as even well tactile. Isn't exactly the right word because you can't touch it. But yes, there's more of an ability to immerse yourself virtually you know, with, with, with the, the technology that we have, as opposed to that,
1: like, like you said, the recycling does have, 90s stuff is very in right now. Sure. 90s, everything, you know, it's just it, like a, a trend.
0: Yeah. And it has been for a bit now where there has definitely been a diving back into an appreciation for things from the nineties. So it still happens. You know, I would say that what it is is there's more of a predominance in popular culture, you know of certain eras but still there is all these other you know there's you know the the multitude of other types of you know uh sects and and segmentation segment segmenting of people into different groups that like appreciate different things you know like where like there's more people that are into the 80s stuff and there's more people that are into the 70s whatever anyways yes yeah yeah that's that
1: so I guess it it didn't feel out of time for me. It felt like an 80s movie that was nostalgic for the 50s. Like, that's what go. it felt like. I felt like, oh, this is a movie that takes place in the 80s. That's like super retro for the 50s, um, yeah. which is what Running Man also feels like. Not 50s necessarily, but Running Man is like an 80s movie that's supposed to take place in the future, but just feels so 80s like, still.
0: Right. So it's the other way. It's and the I, other way. Yeah. I knew that that, that was like a, a criticism that you had of 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 that movie as well. Where I was like, yeah, kind of like that's what you know adds to the charm for me. But I definitely yeah, see it your, takes me out of it a little I, bit. But yeah, I, I see your 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 standpoint that on that as well.
1: Um, what the, the specifically in the second half, what takes me out of it is these lengthy musical montages. um, I, I will say that, uh, my wife and I watched this together for the first time. And I, she asked me about the movie and I said, I don't know, I don't know anything about it. And she said, let me look it up. And she just, uh, description that she read was like, it says it's like a musical slash thriller action adventure movie. I was like, <laughs> it's a fucking musical. I was like, that's strange. Like I, I was, I and, it did, and that's why the first half I was like, "Oh, I get it. It's like new it's it's centered around music, but it's not a musical. Right. I did feel like in the second half it doesn't it doesn't delve into being a musical, but the all of the musical performances and montages are filler. It's all filler like it didn't yeah, it doesn't get me from point A to point B. It fills time and and that that sort of stuff was i, I it, it dragged. Uh, it's dragged the second half
0: down um that's true and it's funny because that was i didn't talk about it but with ebert that was i think one of his criticisms was oh, he great. said, i'm no better than <laughs> oh, great. oh no where he was just like because you know the the tagline or basically the setup of this is it's a rock and roll fable and he said well where's you know basically like, where's the rock and roll like i would have liked to have seen more of the rock and roll like you said, it's, it's more of a filler. It's not necessarily um, something that is essential to carrying the actual plot of the movie or, the, or any character development.
1: No, it's not. So. Um, two more. Two <laughs> more does tom need to knock out ellen aim by punching her in the face right (laughs) seems yeah incredibly unnecessary
0: very (laughs) excessive and also yeah what the fuck (laughs) like
1: i know he was trying to get her like out of the city while well, yeah. he dealt with this shit but like he's sucker punches her in the face which seems it like was jarring to me i was like whoa like did yeah. he turn is he a bad guy now i was like oh wait he was just getting rid of her in the most cartoony way possible it's like a tom and jerry sketch like, it was so weird
0: right like how can we exemplify the toxic masculinity that's already you know prevalent in this movie even more
1: that 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 was a <laughs> a, weir- a weird blemish, um, absolutely. In an otherwise uh, empowering movie for women, which is way is even bigger of a blemish. It's <laughs> so strange. um yeah. And lastly, and forever, now, then, and forever, cops are just fucking useless. Apparently, uh, they're useless now. They're useless in this fucking movie. I don't understand their role in this movie. Like you said, it's like a lawless... Uh, it's, it's like a lawless land, like a wild, wild west lawless sort of vibe. And yeah. the police are in the fucking way of these people <laughs> like settling this shit to the point where it's like, why are the police in this movie i liked how passive they were though because right. they were just like willing to let these these gang members just like hash it out literally in front of them yes uh, but let's just fucking dispatch all cops <laughs> yeah <laughs> from, our, from our lives
0: yeah 100 i had that in my that was actually good or uh sorry it was it was weird because it was like it was good but bad and also questionable all at the same time it's me. all of it it's yes it,
1: it's because i'm not saying it's bad uh, yeah it's, it's like it's sick
0: there's no cops in this city it it's can tight. run itself they, they're there yeah the bad
1: is i guess and this is every bad that we've ever done the cops are bad at their job in this movie i Terrible guess is the, their job. is the concise version of that but <laughs> yeah that was the
0: conceit of this yeah it's just like you know for most of the movie the, the town is the city is basically um it has two cops it has two patrol men that are on duty until the very end or at least then they encounter what is a, basically a military squadron of cops or so the yeah, military police yeah. and they're just corrupt and shitty and and they dispatch them pretty quickly by just shooting up their patrol cars like, I
1: did like that killing cops in this movie doesn't escalate a situation. It's just like other people to be killed. Like no, it doesn't, I, it doesn't escalate it to like a, you know, a, a you know, a world war three situation.
0: Absolutely. The cops are, are pretty ineffectual and weak, as you said, and they're, and they are dealt with very easily, which, yeah, I love that aspect, but it was also, yeah. Like, why are the, <laughs> why are there not more cops in in this it, world? It
1: makes it good, bad
0: and questionable all at once, all at once. So there you go. Um, so what all, What did I have to add to this? So bad for me, I like Rick Moranis. Like I, I'm, I was a big fan of his 80s uh, roles and stuff that he'd been in. And I love SCTV. Uh, this was like a weird role I felt like that they put him in because he is such a dick. He is an unnecessary <laughs> dick in this movie. It's on par with when we talked about cliffhanger and there was uh what's his fucking name? Oh yeah. You oh, know? Fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you that guy about- where it's just like, why are you you are relentlessly dickheadish and it's it's almost like it doesn't it doesn't seem appropriate for the look and stature of someone like Rick Moranis.
1: That he. I, is, that, that's my big. By the way, it's Travers is who we're thinking. Travers, of. <laughs> thank you. Our boy, our boy Travers. From I Flip just Hay. thought of it. I I don't have a problem specifically with uh, Rick Moranis' performance, but I did have a problem with him in that role. Is bizarre. I do not right. buy him as a. I guess he's her boyfriend slash manager. Yes, but. Like, they should have they should have gotten somebody that's even more menacing to give it more of, like, a pimp and prostitute kind of aesthetic. Right,
0: exactly. I'm not,
1: And I don't buy Rick Moranis as, as that. He's too sweet. It, right. He's too sweet for this role. And I feel like he almost had to dial it up more when he realized the role called for him being a dick. I agree. That's yeah. totally,
0: I, I agree. So, kind of, yeah, a a, a bad, questionable sort of moment. In in that regards, um, I guess there was a questionable that I had. Uh, that, that's pretty much the bad. You touched on most of the bad. Yeah, so let's we can move to questionable. We'll we'll move we'll move it along to questionable. In terms, oh, the questionable. I touched on this a little bit before, but the motivation that Raven has behind kidnapping Ellen Aim, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> to me, like, again, this motivation is it's again, it's just on, on the one hand, purely just for mischief making, purely just like dick swinging, kind of like power move to be like, ah, I can fucking kidnap this broad in the middle of her concert. No one's going to do shit about it because I'm, you know, king fuck.
1: Yeah, because there's no ransom being asked for here. There's no ransom. It, it, the the motivation is very strange.
0: So my whole conclusion that I came to when it when it gets to the point where she is tied up and you know she's in you know his chamber, his chamber room. <laughs> and given <laughs> and given his whole look, to me it's like it's a fetish. It's a kink. To me, what was, that's what very, was, that's
1: very possible given his outfit. Yes. Right.
0: So to me, what was, what was playing out right there was, this was just this guy's kink. This was his fetish. He had a kidnapping tie tie women up fetish, kidnapping, kink, kidnapping, kink. And that's what it was. That's really we don't what kink it was. Shame, but I'll sh- kink, uh, kidnapping, kink, shame, Kid- kidnapping <laughs> Well, I'll, sh- I'll non- shame kidnapping kinks. <laughs> absolutely. Non-consensual kidnapping kink. No, 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 we don't do that here. We're civilized people. We we only
1: well, engage maybe not in this like 1980s <laughs> 1950s hybrid world.
0: <laughs> well, maybe we won't be civilized people much longer either with uh, the onslaught of, of the virus. No, I, no. Wait, if you do, you think we still are <laughs> <laughs> civilized? No, we, we <laughs> no, definitely we're, are not. We're
1: fucking pigs in the
0: we. Yep, yeah, exactly, pigs in the dirt, pigs and shit right now. Um, so yeah, so that was a questionable. Like, what was his motivation? Yeah, no ransom, no money. Really, it was that a- is a
1: great question that I lost. A, I didn't even ask myself that. When you started asking, I was like, "Wait, yeah, there's not a ransom or anything." I, I that's a great question. I, yeah. I, I got lost in the fun. Uh, I got lost in Willem Dafoe's eyes. Let's just say that
0: he was just like I said. He was just pulling some big dick energy type. Of move he really right is this whole movie. <laughs> um, what else do we have here? Oh, questionable. Um the fight scene at the end between Cody and Raven, where Cody eventually does defeat Raven very handily. It doesn't take much to defeat the bombers.
1: Yeah. um, But I got, I
0: (laughs) you're right. They're just basically, they're just completely demoralized right there by their, their leaders defeat in front of everyone that they're just this like is ah. what the the vibe i got off of it was not that it was
1: like final boss kind of level mm-hmm. i i this plays more into willem dafoe i think he's also has like a loves to loves to get the shit kicked out of him kink and he has the honor of <laughs> bowing down to a better man that just kicked the shit out of him. And I feel like he was like half horny in defeat. He was like, I am like fucking aroused by this ass beating and I will uh, call off the dogs and me and my bikers are going to go back. There go. I, I felt it, it was weird, but I also felt like he was like somewhat pleased with 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 the events. I don't know.
0: Good point. That is a good point there. I think that's all I've got for this round. Do you have anything else to cap it off? And then we're going to move on to our awards categories. I had one hilarious one.
1: Tom Cody, Tom Cody, hear me out. No, don't, you have to hear me out. I think you'll agree. Okay. Tom Cody does equal to, and possibly more damage dispatching the bikers in the diner. than if he were just to have let the bikers do whatever the fuck they wanted in the diner. It's true. Uh, he, he comes in and takes care of the situation, but. The front windows caved in, and he completely destroys the inside of the diner. Like, if he just didn't do anything, the bikers wouldn't have done that much. The bikers wouldn't have thrown each other through the window to leave. Like, he almost does more property damage. Like, if I were the, if I were that girl, is is that his? Uh, that's his sister. That's his. That's right. His
0: so sister owns the if, diner. If
1: I was his sister, I'd be like, "What the fuck, Tom Cody? Like, what? What do you? You came in here, destroyed everything."
0: But yeah, that she's like, ah, shucks, you big knucklehead! Look oh, at She's you. totally
1: it. She's like, thank you for, <laughs> thank you for destroying my place.
0: <laughs> you know what? I'll cape up for that though, and say that I feel like it was the wiser move to beat the shit out of that and trash the place <laughs> and have them because who knows what they could have done? They could have taken a sister and raped her. There could have been it's any other more violence in the movie. Area.
1: Though I don't feel, I don't feel. I'm not scared of this gang yet so I'm not I'm not given something to think oh yeah like they might fucking sexually assault her or worse or whatever I they just kidnapped like the equivalent of uh Tiffany like like they just kidnapped like a pop artist (laughs) like if that's their
0: main motivation then I'm not Scared but, by them But that's a different gang. The gang that comes to the diner is a different gang. It's not it's not the same bikers that it's not the same, same it's a different faction. Oh, okay. Are they warring factions? Are they against the the foe faction? Doesn't doesn't get into that, but I know that that, that sect of gang that enters, it's not the same. It's not the bombers. Okay. They're, okay. They're different. That's why. Thank you for clarifying that. I did not know that. And no, no so that problem. helps, a, that helps a little. They're, they're, they're a lesser, they're a lesser gang in that. that actually helps a lot.
1: I, now that I'm thinking about it, that, that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Okay. Anything else? No. You know,
1: poker is a real interesting game, especially when you've got all the best cards. <laughs> Next time we will your nuts, pal. You know what I mean?
0: all right well here we go da, 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 da. we're gonna move on to words and categories uh we're gonna to top it off with quotes we kind of touched upon it earlier kind of um lean in the quote category wouldn't you say
1: yeah but him calling uh rick moranis uh short and um is like is it short and dumb? Is that what he says? Basically, that's what he says. And that is like that's the I I laughed so hard that I just put that in my phone real quick and was like, that's it. Well, that's it's the just the way lesson. he says the
0: way he says it to you Yeah, he does he's, the he's delivery like, is all is all about it's it. all in the delivery. It's so good. I love it. Um oh, I had one that oh, okay. So there I do actually do have a few of them. There was one. Fuck, I'm drawing a blank on who this was even from. I should have wrote it down. Um, maybe it was from McCoy. Where say it. maybe I'll remember it. Gonna play a little game called Lights Out.
1: Oh, I don't even fucking.
0: <laughs> I'm useless. I'm sorry. I think that was McCoy. I think that was McCoy when she <laughs> That does sound like something she would say. She she comes to the inner sanctum of the bombers and she's holding them up while you know as a as a deflection to Cody getting Ellen. And then um there is a quote from Raven. This is when I believe when he comes out of the bomber's um hideout there, and like I said, he's in that that scene where it looks he looks particularly satanic and, and evil through the flames, and he says to Cody, Well, it looks like I ran into someone that likes to play as rough as I do. Dude, again, with the kinky shit. Uh, yeah, that, that's oh, kinky yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. You're right. There is a <laughs> lot of, like, implied BDSM Finally, kink. someone that likes to play as... What, say it again. Uh, well, it looks like I ran into someone that likes to play as rough as I do. <laughs> yeah, come on. My God. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. It really is. You know, the more and more we talk about this, you're right. <laughs> there really is this underlying implied current of BDSM uh King- Kingsterism in this movie that i oh my god i think yes. we need we need to extracurricularly dive a little more deeply into just to kind of tease this out some more my god i'd love to um let me change into my latex uh
1: coveralls <laughs> lube up and squeeze into these the lube up and get into these categories
0: <laughs> um <laughs> Well, there was uh another one that I kind of had the 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 sergeant there at the end when um you know there's the whole uh implied idea that that sergeant is going to sell out Cody to Raven, mm-hmm. you know. And so he's going to, you know, to to squash, you know, any sort of beef or to keep the peace basically between the bombers and the cops. But then Um, that sergeant ends up betraying Raven and he shows up to the the brawl and he's like, he's not here, essentially. And um, what happens is, of course, this is another thing, like the bad, you know, we talk about bad plans and things like that, like where this cop didn't actually think that like the bombers were gonna, you know, come in full force. And he's... Again, bad at their job, yeah. Yeah, bad at their jobs. But Cody shows up um, unbeknownst to... Uh, sard the sergeant, and basically he says, Because he sees all the bombers there, he's like, Well, it looks like my plan went to shit, you know. <laughs> but, but then <laughs> Cody has been able to rally the whole city essentially. You're right, it, right. So this this could go back to the whole questionable thing and you know, shitty, shitty, uh, writing or whatever. But, anyways, I just so, shocked it up to shitty cops. I was just like, oh. Shitty cops, shitty writing, shitty cops, shrug. Um, yeah. Uh that's pretty much all I had. Ed Begley Jr.
1: wins the, the, I looked it up while you were while you were going through your quotes rick moranis's character says you give him some of your money or i'll give him some of your money and then he says oh you're dumb and you're short real <laughs> short <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: but again it's totally in the, the delivery because oh the
1: delivery is so good that that wins the the movie i think this is one of the few movies where a one-off character just comes in and rips a line wins the movie and then just walks away like right he he won it.
0: What are they, they say in The rewatchables. It's like a heat check. He totally comes in with the heat check. Oh my God. The heat check performance. Yeah. He went 13 to 14, <laughs>
1: to 14, uh, you know, 30 points and he fucking
0: 20 <laughs>
1: rebounds in like 10 minutes.
0: Yeah, right. And that little, <laughs> that little blip right there. That one little blip. All right. Well, that brings us to the next. Oh shit. Everything all right there. Did a cat just jump (laughs) off your
1: tail? (laughs) No, I don't own cats. Uh, Let me take a TV timeout. This is like the 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 puppy like unplugging the TV. Okay, here we go. Okay, I'm alive. Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, it was like a it was like a, a milk crate full of uh, <laughs> it's like a, a comical like Home Alone like uh, trap. It was like a milk crate full of light bulbs, just like <laughs> fell over next to me <laughs> for like
0: no reason. Well, we're, we're good though. The the poltergeist My decided God. to show up and just. <laughs> do some mischief making like 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 raven shattuck he's in he's alive in my garage tonight okay so we're gonna talk about uh did uh either one of us spot a dick this is our uh this is our award that uh that it, our honor honorary award in reference to the uh the great dick miller it's basically you know yeah did we did we find a, that guy in this movie yeah
1: and mine will be short because i've already talked about her but mine is eg daily for everything we talked about earlier with uh, peewee's big adventure and and valley girl and all of her voice work that she did later on um she's in this uh movie for a very small amount of time just like uh the award is uh intended to go to. So I, I think she does a great job. She comes in short amount of time, knocks it
0: out of the fucking bark and and then just you know, that's it. I, well, I'm giving it to her. Well my man, we might as well be a boy band right now because we are in sync. Ooh wow. Yeah. So wow. I gave I gave it to E.G. Daily as well because yeah, that was the most obvious uh Dick Miller type character. Maybe
1: Ed Bagley Jr., but he
0: really just didn't show up enough. He didn't show up enough, exactly. And in the spirit of the award, as we said before, this we try to reserve this more for people that they're 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 kind of bit part. They're, they're careerist bit performers. Exactly. And and E.G. Daly definitely fits in that category. Whereas, whereas Ed Begley, to most people, he's he's a recognizable I agree. After. Yeah. And so yeah, but honorary second to Ed Bagley for sure for the Dick Miller. Um, which brings us to the next uh category, and that would be uh, would we replace anybody in this movie with Harry Dean Stanton? And if we did, who in fact would that be? Uh I I think we're gonna also probably be on the same page with this one again, but let me ask you who would you replace in this film? with harry dean stanton
1: so this is where i was gonna curveball you okay. so i'm gonna
0: let you go first yeah. and
1: then i'm going to
0: uh, drop a, a question on you okay okay great well i think you probably might know where i'm gonna go with this but i was gonna say mccoy but again oh, oh that's great but, I, but I did again, not think of that but again in this regards it's not because you know we have to state that it's not that we felt that the person doing that role particularly did a bad job. There are circumstances that we've talked about this where we're like, yeah, that person sucks. Harry Dean Stanton would definitely uh, add more to this role. With this case, I could just see him being a good person that could also be a stand in for this as well as being a sidekick, you know, um, to, to Cody here. And again, that's because we wouldn't put him in a leading role because that's not what Harry, Harry Dean Stanton—that's not what he did. You know, he was was a character actor. So I would say probably McCoy would be my. my I love my, that. I think that's a great pick.
1: idea. Yeah,
0: I yeah. love that. So what 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 would you uh, say? So
1: follow me on this. Um. <laughs> I know we're talking about Harry Dean Stanton and that's the spirit of this award. I would replace Rick Moranis' character with Bill Paxton. I feel like Bill Paxton would have done a better job with that role. I feel like he can play like a dick and he would have actually been like a little bit more menacing. Absolutely. also, you, you swap them. I think Rick Moranis placed the best goofy bartender. It would have been the perfect swap. Yeah, Uh, it's just incredible. I I like as soon as I thought of it, I was like, why don't these two just like swap roles? I would have been so much better. You get more Bill Paxton, first of all, right, because Rick Moranis' character has a more fleshed out role. yeah. And Rick Moranis gets to play Goofy Bartender. That's perfect. It's perfect. Good point. Um, But so obviously I didn't pick a Harry Dean Stanton. What I wanted to ask you is a very important question. Mm -hmm. Would you consider moving forward? changing this category to <laughs> who would you replace in this movie with Bill Paxton? Bill Paxton. <laughs> this movie got me so jazzed up for Bill Paxton. Yeah. That I, I, I really did try. I, I tried the Harry Dean's Danton route, but I couldn't get out of my head swapping him and Moranis. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't do it. But then I thought, what if we changed this category? I mean, fuck it. It's our podcast. We can do whatever we want.
0: <laughs> hey, this podcast is just as lawless as the city that this movie oh my God, exists yeah. in. No,
1: no cops, just latex <laughs> overalls. That's, that's our fucking podcast. <laughs> yeah. But I, we should give serious consideration. I am 100% down, but I did not want to make such an important decision. Without your consent, obviously. I'm not a, a Willem Defoe kink. Come on.
0: Yeah. You have my consent. Let's give it, let's give it a test, uh test run. We'll do some uh some Bill Paxton scenarios on some episodes coming up. I we'll
1: think s- this will be a lot more exciting because I love Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah, but I think Bill Paxton fills a similar uh, void that Harry Dean Stanton that we if we were to take him out of this I think Bill Paxton fills that void and then some to a more fun degree
0: okay I, I'm feeling you on that I think that's a good let's let's do this awesome fuck so yeah here we, so you're you're hearing it here first right now listeners on upcoming episodes we're going to rechristen this category as who would you replace with Bill Paxton yes i'm so I,
1: i'm like thinking of the possibilities is making my mouth water
0: well right now i'm not going to reveal what our next movie is going to be but i'm already raising an eyebrow as to how we're going to wedge that particular character uh, actor into uh, any of those roles but it should be interesting and i would love to hear What you had to say.
1: (laughs) We both know what our next movie is, and now my gears are really turning. So but I think it would have been equally difficult with Harry Dean Stanton for various uh reasons that we'll get to at the end of the podcast. But um yeah, let's let's uh let's move on now that we've we've made important decisions.
0: Okay. So next category, and this is one that sometimes throws throws the uh, throws a little bit of a wrench into the operation here. Sometimes we got to dispense with it, but I think with this one, we, we've got a, a a good, we've got some good things to talk about. We'll have to keep it pretty brief here, but uh, we're going to go into a directorial tr- trifecta here for Mr. Walter Hill. And um, as we said in previous episodes, basically what we do is we try and find a uh, one, two, three punch of, movies back to back to back that this particular director uh had a hand in that we feel really exemplify uh their 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 strengths so um i have what is a theoretical trifecta i had to cheat a little bit with this one as i've had to do in the past but um uh i don't know did you want to talk about it a little bit yourself (laughs) Yeah, I'll keep mine
1: brief, because I will say that um, I I have not seen, I've seen very few Walter Hill uh, mm-hmm. movies. In fact, I've only ever seen uh, The Warriors, and not to, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't right. like The Warriors at all. I hate oh. The Warriors. I've seen it, I've seen it multiple times, to- I've tried to wow. watch it multiple times, and I cannot cannot stand that movie i don't know what it is did about you hear it. that did you hear do, that I, i'm so sorry i do not like that movie i loved this movie so much but I, it, it made me want to do more walter hill this okay. movie this movie felt so much more uh something that i i that's my vibe Okay. Um, I, and I can't even pinpoint why I don't like the Warriors. I don't want to say I hate it. I, I just genuinely am uh, disinterested in it. Every I, c- time I, c- I watch it.
0: Yeah, I, I understand why some people don't like the Warriors. So, you know, whatever. I, I ain't mad at you about that.
1: So, I mean, my trifecta is is almost moot because I, I can't really do anything. What I will say is that I have plans to watch Forty Eight Hours as of this weekend. That's good. Um, and I know that it's his buddy cop movie. It's a great uh, movie with uh, uh, Nolte and and Eddie Murphy. So mm-hmm. that's something I'm watching this this weekend. So I'm going to go based on everything that I've heard about Forty Eight Hours, which is that it is fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just do Forty Eight Hours, Streets of Fire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the one that comes after that is Brewster's Millions, which yeah. is uh, a comedy with Richard Pryor and John Candy. So that sounds awesome. Also um, awesome. So yes. I'm going to go with a trifecta of two movies that I've never seen before, which is 48 <laughs> Hours and Brewster's Millions. Sandwiched um, between that is Streets of Fire. But I think those three movies, based on the descriptions alone, uh, sound like a, a peak of somebody's career. Um, Especially 48 Hours, which is noticeably a very uh, popular movie that I don't even think a lot of people attribute to Walter Hill.
0: Right, totally. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, man, you're in for a treat with both of those movies. I haven't watched either one of them in quite some time, but Brewster's Millions and 48 Hours, I definitely have fond (coughs) memories watching at the time during the 80s. And so... And I haven't watched either one of them in quite a while either, so I need to catch up myself. I that. tried to
1: watch both of them before this recording, so I could just definitively be like, "This is my trifecta." Mm-hmm. Um, just ran out of time. I I will watch both this weekend, and but I stand pat with the, looking at what else is on here. I I think those are those would be my three favorites upon watching the other two but what i'm interested to hear what you came up with
0: yeah i will say again 48 hours and bruce's millions to me are like definitive 80s movies but anyways so for me i would say the trifecta and this is not including the movie that we discussed tonight because it's just a given in that in that regards for me but i will say the driver the warriors and 48 hours and i'm i know i'm skipping some movies somewhere in there but those to me are um, his trifecta.
1: You're skipping The Long Riders in 1980 and Southern Comfort in 1981, but uh, The Driver is 1978, Warriors is 1979, and 48 Hours is 1982. So it's a very tight span of time. It is. Um, for movie wise. So that, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that checks out.
0: And for me, those three are because Streets of Fire is a cult movie. And it doesn't have yes, it very much so, yeah. yeah. So, but to me, if you want to talk about definitive Walter Hill movies that stand on their own two feet, stand the test of time, it's The Warrior, uh, The Warriors, The Driver, in 48 Hours. And I know we talked about The Driver, um, we did, during, yeah, during the Manhunter episode. Mm-hmm. So, to me, essential Walter Hill viewings right there, those three. So, there you go, that's Wonderful. my trifecta, boom. Um, with that in the can, let's talk about some trivia. There actually wasn't like with the quotes as well. There wasn't to me a lot of like really choice, juicy, cool trivia with this. There was some notable things. So w- we can talk about that for a little bit and let's hear and then, it. Cause I don't uh, know anything about this movie and then, and then we're going to wrap it up. Um, the one really cool thing that I liked about this, um, that would have been nice to see fleshed out in some, Shape, uh, what way shape or form was, uh, this was actually intended to be the first of a trilogy of movies all re- revolving around the character of Cody, hence the um Halloween 3 reference, right? Again, wow, very Mikey, similar. Mikey
1: P be playing
0: Cody the whole time, Mikey P. You again, is Mikey?
1: Uh, is Mikey Py? They didn't do the trilogy because I could imagine that's why. Believe it or not,
0: no, they. It was again similar to season of the witch, where it was a box office flop, and there just was no investment. They couldn't there justify was, it. There yeah, was it no interest sense. in it anymore.
2: <laughs> makes but sense.
0: Apparently, there was a movie in two thousand eight called The Road to Hell, um, which is kind of an homage or so, uh, a sort of uh, uh, it's a movie where they tried to attempt to to tap attack on some sort of sequel because Michael oh, Perry, weird. Michael Perry, and um, the woman that plays his sister—that actress—I'm drawing a blank on her name. It's kind of long. She they're was both also in it. They're both in it. Oh, and they wow. both play. They both play the same roles. They reprise, uh, reprise those roles as brother and sister. So anyway, so that was that. that was that was pretty cool. Um, the attackers, Ellen Ames, a backup band, were a real band. They weren't called the attackers. Uh, they were the backup band for another woman who I'm drawing a blank on her name as well. Um, But I do remember this band and I remember specifically a video of uh, their one hit single, but the attackers were an actual band. Um, This didn't really surprise me actually. And I could totally see it. Um, um, But Rick Moranis and Perry didn't get along at all, apparently. (laughs) Um, And it's funny when I read Michael Perry talking about his kind of disdain for Moranis, I totally could hear it in Michael Perry's voice and he basically, it just sounded totally like he's just like a big dumb lug that didn't appreciate the fact that this comedian just kept fucking with him. (laughs) Yeah. I'm
1: going to have to side with Moranis on
0: this. (laughs) So Moranis just kept, just kept fucking with him throughout the whole rest of the Moranis probably
1: just didn't have any respect for him. Uh, Given his his acting chops And maybe his intelligence level Maybe Moranis just thought you'd be fun To fuck with this guy
0: Yeah, and like the way Perry says it He's just like, yeah, I don't get it, man It's just this little fucking ugly pipsqueak You know, and he just kept fucking with me And like, oh boy You know, and I just (laughs) you know fuck these uh these comedians they think they're so smart and they're so cool like that's like oh essentially my the gist of it. <laughs> oh my god oh my god so yeah that's they,
1: juicy i like it
0: yeah oh this one so and this ties into what we were talking about as far as how mccoy's character was uh how it was she was presented and developed um as being kind of more masculine and, and a tough badass well that had to do with the fact that um that role was originally intended to be a man called uh, and his name was mendez and what happened He's was, like
1: share he just goes by mendez
0: yeah so he was intended to be a man named mendez and what happened was mccoy had um rehearsed for the role of Uh, cody's sister actually and ended up taking the role of mccoy and because that was supposed to be a male role she just basically adapted the the male more male masculine attributes of that role which led me to think because of the way she acts and and the way she comes off and some of the dialogue that i just assumed that the the role was a lesbian woman, and that's actually a question that's come up, but it's never really definitively established whether she's Is lesbian. She not? She, apparently, it Apparently she's not, or like there's no I definitive that, I answer. I thought there
1: was there was that whole dialogue that were there was she's like, Don't worry, Cody, you're not my type. I thought that whole that line was specifically like, You're not my don't don't worry about it because I'm gay. I thought that right. that's how it came
0: off. So apparently. That and that's because there's two differing opinions when discussing this. And of the two different camps, some of you know, one of them cites that dialogue as being, Well, yeah, she makes it known that she's not interested in this hunky guy. Because I mean
1: to, to be honest, he's a fucking doofus. So he's a, like, he's a, I, he's a dull. I, I get
0: it. Right. <laughs> so, but no one, no one has ever definitively said one way or the other. So it's just kind of a mystery. Interesting. I didn't even th- didn't even come to my mind thinking that
1: sh- that may not be the case.
0: Yeah. Um the bombers were comprised of the, the 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 actors that played the bombers in the movie were comprised of actual LA uh of differing uh, LA uh, biker gangs oh it was a cool. surprise of the crusaders and the heathens so no hell's angels no hell's angels um, that,
1: that's a shame
0: many of the actors were young enough to be subjected to child labor laws huh yeah so um, Diane for instance Diane Lane who plays Ellen A she was only 18 and she was wow really yeah, yeah.
1: Which makes my lust for her creepy. Yeah, you creepy old man. Stay away from Fuck. Her. Well, Please. Diane Lane's like 30 years
0: older than me, so... So now it's, it's, it's fair game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it, this is what's interesting. Because of those labor laws, um, they had to do shooting for a lot of scenes, or specific scenes during the day only. So, in order to create the appearance of night, uh, they had to tarp over the entire set. And it was like a million dollars to create this, this ah, cover dang. of this cover that they were, you know, shooting at night. And, uh, apparently the, the tarp flapping around and making noises, um, cause a lot of interference with the actor's dialogue. So, Oh my God, what a nightmare. <laughs> I know. So it was just that whole, it's like, you try and fix one problem. It just causes more problems sort of Holy scenario. Shit. So, yeah. Um, So this little tidbit goes into why I was attracted to uh, watching this movie to begin with. And that is because I, I don't know if I've told you about this before. I am a big Bruce Springsteen fan. Okay. I love Bruce Springsteen. I am like, I'm on board with the boss. I like the boss. I'm not, I I don't, I haven't
1: heard enough to say, I love the boss, but everything I've heard of the boss, I'm into. What is
0: the connection though? Well, Streets of Fire is a Springsteen song. It's the title of a Springsteen song. It's off of Darkness on the Edge of Town. Okay. And so originally, they were going to use the song in the soundtrack. And Bruce Springsteen Springsteen would be in the movie? Well, I don't think that that was going to happen. But the song was going to be in the soundtrack. Uh, He withdrew permission, though, when they had told him that there was going to be different vocalists singing the song so he was like ah, fuck it then you can't use it. And he I agree
1: it. with his assessment. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have let that happen either.
0: And that was probably just due to budgetary reasons. They just didn't want to pay him the money. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So because he would he would have cost a lot. That that getting that song for the soundtrack would have been a, a a pretty penny. Yeah. So I, at that time, eight,
1: 1984, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. Um And let's see, what else? Oh, so that final fight scene between Raven and Cody, that apparently took four weeks to shoot. Four weeks? Yeah. A month? So so two weeks was choreographed between um, Michael Perry and Willem Dafoe, and then the other two weeks was taken to choreograph it with the stunt doubles. Took a month. Holy crap. To shoot that entire scene. That's lengthy. Yeah. It's a lot. Wow. Um, so that's some choice little ones. I wanted to bring up, there's a little, there's a goof, there's a plot hole goof um, that I thought was pretty funny. And and you don't think about again, when you watch this movie, at least for me, because you think about the timelessness aspect of it. But um, one of the big plot holes is the team leaves for the battery to get LNA aim from uh, Richmond, the Richmond district in, at 11 a.m in the morning, they don't arrive to the battery, which is theoretically in the same city, until nighttime. And then similarly, they leave shortly afterwards, they are able to get Ellen, um, and it's nighttime, and they return back to the Richmond district in the morning. So what's implying is that this city is so huge that it took them an entire day to get across. And back but it's just what it is it's just it's a it's a again it's a plot hole it's a it's a time lapse issue where it wasn't intentional well that's where I'm wondering is like to me I feel like that would be that would be a thing that Walter Hill would do intentionally to create that timeless out of time kind of like dreamy kind of aspect to it that's the way I looked at it but from a purely technical, realistic sort of standpoint, no, it doesn't make any sense.
1: Well, because I'm thinking if it's a uh, if you're traversing a wasteland, yeah, it, it might be. You might have to distance-wise, maybe it's right. not very far, but right. maybe there's just a ton of shit you got to get through. Right, uh, you know just things are closed off streets are completely decimated. There's like, you know, yeah, know, I'm trying to think of like a post-apocalyptic scenario, maybe cause that's cool. If, if so, right. but
0: yeah. And that, yeah. And that is the, again, that is another implication. If, it, if this was a post-apocalyptic sort of, you know, movie, but it's not, it's no, not It feels all.
1: Yeah. It doesn't feel like that.
0: So that's just a whole, weird little technical. It uh, is weird. I like te- that though. Technical, like kind of hiccup. Um, so yeah, so that is that, uh, I'm assuming that you're good. We can wrap this up. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I
1: love, I loved hearing cause I didn't do any research that that was, that was awesome.
0: There you go. That's, uh, I did it for you cause I love you.
1: I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to assign a rating to this and I'm going to base this rating off of, uh, latex overalls. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. How many latex overalls does this movie get um out of five? And I'm gonna give this a three. I'm gonna give this okay. a three latex overalls out of five. And as far as it being a midnight movie, I would give this, let's say it's about a it's about a ten, ten thirty. I would say
1: in terms of a midnight movie, I would give it an 1130 because of its cult status. Okay. Um, it feels very culty. Yeah. And very like subversive and underground in terms of yeah uh, being able to f- track it down. I don't feel like a lot of people have probably seen this. Um, so I would I would give it 1130, pretty close to being a midnight movie. I would give um, the first half a four and the second half a two. Okay. And... So I'm gonna split the diff and agree with you, and give it a three because I really was vibing with it, and I thought I'd, I would give it fi- uh, four bib uh, latex bib overalls uh, for that first half. But the second half I would definitely give like a two. So okay. I'll, I'll I'll average
0: the two together
1: and give this a three.
0: Well, it wouldn't be a uh, four divided by two be two though? <laughs> Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, but fair enough. All right. Don't, yeah. Don't you start with me. <laughs> did I just, no, I just math explain uh, to you
1: in terms of a median, right? Yes, you're right. Four plus two is six divided by two is three.
0: There you go. You're right. <laughs> there we go, then. So I, I just math explained to you. <laughs> <laughs> We're in agreement then that overall of this movie, it's a three out of five latex kinky uh jumpsuit overall thingies mm-hmm. with uh with all that out of the way hey uh pat you're uh kicking it off for this next one what did what did you pick for us to watch this next time so it's our first foreign film we're gonna about do... time it is about time right, right. Oh. we've just Does been like be- watching all these american movies with fucking white people come on we're, we're woker than that Well, we're about to get woke. We're going to do
1: Takashi Miki's uh, Itchy the Killer. Yeah. Which is a great uh, Miki movie. You know, Audition, I think, is too obvious. Uh, Same with, like, Visitor Q. I think Itchy is is one of his
0: more uh, just straight-up violent... (laughs) I was going to say, do you like senseless violence like I do? Then... Ooh, doggy! It is just it here's your por- is just that. Here's your pork chop, <laughs> buddy. And
1: every time I watch this movie, I I am convinced it is the inspiration to Heath Ledger's Joker. <laughs> just like convinced of it. You know, I feel like they they had to have taken ripped it off of Youchi the Killer.
0: I would like to think that. I would like to think that Christopher Nolan was definitely aware of this movie and took some sort of DNA from it for that. That would be super. It cool. seems too obvious, right? I mean. Well, what's here's the hoping,
1: but yes, we'll delve into that and try to fil- fit Bill Paxton into that
0: bad boy. I can't we're, wait. We're, we're, we're gonna shoehorn white as fuck Bill Paxton into a really Japanese movie. <laughs> I'm gonna throw him in there. It's so, gonna be so much fun. Get, get strap in for that, my friends. That's gonna that's gonna be a, a real humdinger. So this has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. Our outro music this week is brought to you by Hell Rigel. They are a newer Indianapolis band full of uh, a bunch of real uh, real good lads, and I'm, I'm glad that we're going to get to feature them here on this show. Uh, check them out. They have a band camp. I'm sure it's something, something Hell Rigel. You can figure it out for yourself. Uh, you know how to internet, I'm sure. Uh, If you are a band looking to submit a song or a listener looking to submit a question, feel free to shoot us an email at midnightflixpod at gmail.com. That's midnightflix, F-L-I-X-P-O-D, midnight F-L-I-X-P-O-D. Come on, talk to us, people. We're lonely. We're, We're quarantined. You're lonely. I know you want to reach out, you know. You want to talk I'm about sitting
1: here in my latex bib overalls with a halfy sticking through?
0: Uh, it's it's sad. Come on, satisfy our loneliness. Reach out, you know, let's talk some shit. Talk some shit to us. Uh or if you don't like to do that, you can also hit us up on our Instagram at midnight At midnightflixpod. It's a uh, growing and growing uh week by week. Thank you very much to those of you that have uh Uh, Followed us and are actually listening As opposed to just you know Adding you to your collection of of followers Uh, We've talked to a few people Since it's been growing that seem Pretty cool right absolutely Yeah Yeah, it's been been nice It's been nice we've had some people reach out to us And talk to us so that's cool All right. So that being said For co-host Patrick Mitchell I am Adam Walker And we're going to see you next time (laughs) Later, ding-dongs.